This is the Gospel for Life, where we have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. Around the table today is Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Jonathan Van Hoogen from Dayspring United Reformed Church, Vinnie Hanke from Valley Life Community Church, and Ryan Hemphill from Treasure Valley Reformed Presbyterian Church. To catch earlier broadcasts, just search The Gospel for Life wherever you subscribe. To find out more about this ministry and about our annual conference, go to ReformationBoise.com. Welcome to The Gospel for Life. We, in the business of the holiday seasons, we're not able to all be in the studio, and so what we are doing instead is bringing you some messages. Vinny, my good friend Vinny, is is preached a sermon on John 15, and as we enter this new year, hopefully the truths of this message will edify and strengthen and encourage you as you head into the upcoming year. So how can we put this shape into practice? How can we take the semicircle, the rhythm of life of working and resting, and what can we do practically to ensure that we're living as a disciple of Jesus, that is growing in his character and conduct? Well, let me give you some examples. In 1 John 2.6, we have this command from John the Apostle. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. Simple, beautiful picture of discipleship, yeah? That is to say, if we're going we're gonna to say that we are remaining in Christ as disciples, then our lives should look like Jesus's. So what was Jesus's example of rest and work? Let me give you a list really quick. This is all out of the Gospel of Mark. In Mark chapter 2, verse 13, as Jesus begins his ministry, he starts alone at the lake before teaching, resting and spending time in the presence of his heavenly Father before he goes out and teaches. In Mark chapter 3, verse 7, he withdraws with his disciples to a desolate place to spend time praying and in community with them. In Mark chapter 3, verse 13, he goes up to the mountainside and calls his disciples to be with him. Jesus has a mountainside retreat with his disciples. In Mark chapter 4, verse 35, get this, Jesus leaves the crowds and gets into a boat to sail away from them. Let's imagine, imagine this room was full to the brim, standing room only. That's when Jesus left. Revival's breaking out. He has gotten people's attention. Things are happening. And that's when he withdraws to rest. When the temptation is the strongest to work himself to exhaustion, He steps back and rests. Mark 5, verse 1, Jesus is again seen at the lakeside and at the hillside, resting with his disciples. And then Mark 6, 45 and 46, Jesus sends his disciples ahead of him. He dismisses the crowd and he goes up a mountainside to pray and spend time alone. So if Jesus modeled examples of resting and then working, that is working from rest, How can we practically do that? Here's some rhythms that I've tried to live in over the last five years. Uh, Number one, uh, devote yourself daily. Developing a daily rhythm of devotion to Christ. Uh, Maybe in the 90s you were a Christian, we call these quiet times. If you tell that to a preschool, they freak out. They're like, I don't want a quiet time. But as a Christian, having a quiet time or a daily devotional is, is a vital way that we abide in Christ. This is a daily time of connection with Christ. This can include Bible reading, prayer, uh, singing. It can include silence. If you think about your day in three eight-hour chunks, the first eight hours you might dedicate to sleep, 
The second eight hours you can dedicate to work. And then you can commit to four hours of engaging and four hours of disengaging. And finding time within that day to connect with Christ devotionally. Uh, a couple great books. Paul Tripp's New Morning Mercies. This is an excellent 365-day devotional. Really short. Take you two to five minutes to read each day. And then if you like uh, classic liturgy, you want something a little more robust, there's a book called Be Thou My Vision. The author's name escapes me, but it's a 31-day family worship and, and individual worship liturgy. Like if you want classic, old-school, reformed worship in your devotional time, book called Be Thou My Vision. I've got both of those if you'd like to see a sample of them. But devoting yourself daily is a way that we abide in Christ. Uh, secondly, Sabbath weekly. That is, you take one whole day each week dedicated to worship and rest. For many of you, this will be a natural rhythm like Sunday morning. You can get up, you can come to church, uh, maybe you go out to lunch and enjoy the communion fellowship, and then Sunday afternoon and evening are just downtime. For others, maybe you work on Sundays, and so you've got to find a different day to dedicate to worship and rest, where you just, you're just committed to being present in Christ and not doing much. Whatever it is, finding one whole day each week. I would encourage you with this. Before the fall ever happened, God instituted rest in creation. Third practical application is retreat quarterly. Retreat quarterly. These are regular times of celebration and retreat to establish a biblical pattern of rest and work so that a dull routine does not take over. Uh, this, can work, this can look like just specific uh, times in the calendar, about once a quarter that you choose just to celebrate and retreat. Again, financially, maybe it doesn't look like you've got the money to get away for a whole weekend every quarter. Uh, maybe it's just you decide to just take a down, a longer Sabbath. You take two days that weekend. You take both days to just to rest and be down and examine your life over the last three months. But retreating quarterly. Uh, next one, abandon annually. This is, this is an extended time of pleasure, play, and rest. This looks like an annual vacation, an extended time, beyond just a weekend, uh, a week if you can make it happen, longer if you have that in your schedule and work life, but an extended time of pleasure, play, and rest to just kind of review and think about the last year. And then finally, uh, seasonal awareness, and this is a big one for us. God has built seasons into creation's design, and so they are easy points to mark and to spend time evaluating our rest and work balance. Right now we're in the middle of winter, and in Idaho it feels like that's forever for me. Uh, but marking the beginning of the seasons, I have noticed though, living here that just about the time you're done with one season, by God's grace, the next one just about ready to roll around. This also happens in our patterns of life, recognizing what season you're in. I mean, there's a season of singleness, kind of get out of high school into college. There's a season of being early married. There's a season of being early married with kids where there is no rest, let's face it. And then as you work, as your kids get older, my family's we're in a different season. All of our kids are in school during the day, so Sherry and I now date like old people. We go to matinee movies and out to breakfast. It's a different season for us. When we were younger, man, there was no time for date night. We had three small children. There was no money or time. So that looked different for us, finding a rest and time together. Whatever it is, practice seasonal awareness, recognizing what season you're in, using the seasons that God has created to mark the time and pay attention to your rhythm of work and rest. Some seasons are busier than others. But then also mark your season of life. Where are you? What's the next season? What, what can you anticipate? 
all of these, paying attention so that we might understand what it means to abide in Christ and live in a rhythm of work and rest. To rest in Christ, there are two things you must believe and one thing you must do. The first thing you must believe, Jesus quoted right here, apart from Him, you can do nothing. That is to say, your sin has separated you from God and you do not have the ability to overcome that sin in your own strength or with your own work. You must believe that. You must come to that conviction. It's the bottom of the barrel, the, the, the low point to understand that you do not have the capacity or ability to overcome the death that sin has wrought in your spiritual life. The second thing you must believe is that Christ has the strength and the ability that in Christ you may find new spiritual life. That through his life, death, and resurrection, he accomplished what you cannot. That he died a death to atone for your sin, and that he was resurrected to bring new life to you. If you will believe these two things, the final thing you must do, Romans 10.13 gives us this clearly. You must call upon the name of the Lord for salvation. Romans 10.13, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, that is Jesus, will be saved. To find rest in Christ, you must believe these two things and do this one thing. Today we have the opportunity to begin our new year by celebrating communion. I want to take you all the way back to John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, Jesus is teaching publicly. And he makes a statement that, that, that confuses some of the religious leaders. He says, I am the bread of life. And the Pharisees and Sadducees look at themselves and goes, what is, does Jesus mean he's greater than the manna that God provided for us in the wilderness in the story of Exodus? And Jesus says, as a matter of fact, I am. For the, the people who ate that bread, they ate it, they were sustained, but they died. The people who eat this bread will have eternal life. Now they're even more confused. And Jesus intentionally goes to confound them on until we get to the end of the chapter. And he says, this just wild statement. And without any context of Christianity or communion, if you could go all the way back and imagine yourself in first century greater Jerusalem hearing a traveling rabbi say these words in John chapter 6, verse 56. Excuse me, John chapter 6, verse 56. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Imagine hearing that for the first time. Right? That's when you politely get up and leave the worship service. But this is what Jesus told the crowds, the religious teachers, and his disciples. And if you read the passage, you'll notice many of them left too. They're like, this is too radical. Not, not for me. I was into Christ, not cannibalism. But listen, Jesus continues. He says, just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It is not like the manna your ancestors ate and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. The disciples want to understand exactly what Jesus means for another six chapters. When in the middle of the Gospel of John, Jesus sitting at the Passover table with them, celebrating the story of Exodus itself, takes bread from the table blesses it, then begins to break it, looking at his disciples and tells them, this is my body which is broken for you. Take and eat of it. 
And then in the same manner, taking the cup, declaring it to be a new covenant, one in which they will find the final forgiveness of their sins, but that the cup represented His blood, which would be shed for them, and they were to take and drink of it. And that as often as they did this, broke this bread, drank from this cup, they were to do so in remembrance of Him. Did Jesus freak people out with those words in John 6? Absolutely. But He was foreshadowing what would spiritually sustain His disciples for thousands of years. Each and every month as a church, we come to this table, not out of ceremony or tradition, or even obedience, though all of those are good reasons. We come to this table each month because we are desperate to be sustained by Christ. Because this table requires you to abide in Him. This table requires you to admit you can't make it on your own. That you don't have the strength to sustain this Christian life apart from Christ. And so each month we come to this table confessing, Jesus, I'm weak and I need your grace. Jesus, I can't overcome my sin that clings to me like stains on a white shirt. Cleanse me once again with your mercy. Fill me once again with your strength. That I might press on in your mercy each new day. And so this morning, I invite you in faith to come to this table to receive this bread and this cup of juice as small symbols of the body of Christ and His blood. And I invite you to receive them in faith, confessing your dependence and need to abide in Christ.